Sports Ethos, New York Knicks podcast, Andre Galliber. It's not faster. It is. It doesn't. It's not fun. Not fun. It doesn't look good. But it's not the disaster you think. I say this all the time. Some people are Knicks fans and they're not basketball fans, not NBA fans. If you're an NBA fan and you know that being down, being down 1-2, says it like that being down 2-1 with game four on deck on the road not easy but it's not unprecedented it is nothing that that's someone has to go up 2-1 in the series once game three is played someone has to go up 2-1 and it's usually the team that's playing at home not all the time but usually it is you're looking at series in the west where golden state nba champions they lost Game one at home, won game two, blew out the Lakers, and then got blown out in game three. Now, I guarantee you, as nervous as a Golden State Warrior fan might be, and I understand they are the NBA champions, and they have one of the best players that's ever walked the face of the earth, I guarantee you they're not looking at game four like, I shouldn't say not looking at game four, they're not looking at game three like it was the end of the world being down 2-1 in the series. Because that's ridiculous. And they're not looking at the fact that they got blown out in that game and overreacting to it because they just blew out the Lakers. Game to game, everything is different. The Knicks got their doors blown off in this game. And I came before the game and I was I tweeted it out, to a, I texted it to a couple of people. I probably said it on the show, the last episode. I do not expect... I did not expect the Knicks to win that game. Now, of course, you want the game to be closer, and you don't want the team to get their doors blown off, and you want to see some progress on some of the things that the Knicks struggled with in the first two games of the series, of course, but I did not expect them to win that game. I fully expected Miami to win that game. And they did it in an impressive fashion. But now all of this panicking, I guess the end of days, Going into game four, if they if they lost by one, you would feel better because the result would still be the same. They would still be down two one, and they would still they would still have a chance of getting blown out in game four because it doesn't just because you play one close game doesn't mean you're gonna play close games for the rest of the series. It doesn't work that way. Players play differently. Sometimes they play better. Sometimes they play worse. Adjustments are made. The referees they blow the whistle differently. And that can influence the game. I never try to blame. I try not to ever blame the referees for a win or a loss, especially when it's a blowout. But they establish how you play defense for the rest of the game if they're calling the ball, especially if they're calling it unevenly. And sometimes they can be calling it evenly. And I give it credit. I give credit to uh, Seth Park now on Twitter. He made this point that sometimes the referees can call the game evenly and it can favor one team, which is just happenstance. There's nothing you can really do about it. All they, all they can do is call the game evenly. But if a team, let's say a team is a physical paint team and you're calling touch fouls in the paint, well, that team is going to benefit from that. And if the other team is not a physical paint team, they're not going to benefit from that. Right? So even when referees are calling it evenly, they can influence the game. 
But in this case, I don't think the referees called it evenly. And I think Miami was very aggressive to start the game. And sometimes the referees reward aggressiveness. But the Knicks were getting called for every foul under the sun. And that makes that puts people in foul trouble. And it makes people a little apprehensive about being physical because they don't want to get the whistle. So it, it influences how the rest of the game is played. And like I said, sometimes the whistles are going to benefit the Knicks. You would, at least you would hope. But in game three on the road, I just didn't expect everything went wrong for the Knicks in this game. But I knew coming in, it was going to be a hard game for them to win. So now you, you have game four. And if the Knicks could not win one game on the road between game three and game four, then they're not supposed to be in this series. You're not determining that because they got blown out in game three. You're not determining their worthiness in the series because of that. And people, oh, in game two, Jimmy Butler didn't play. In game one, Randall didn't play. Stop, stop doing that. Stop doing that. The Knicks had to win one game on the road in this series, especially since they lost game one. They definitely did. But if you came into the series before game one was even played, you knew they were going to have to win a game in Miami. You probably did not expect everyone to just hold serve at home. That's just, it was an unlikely expectation. You had to come into the series thinking you were going to have to win a game in Miami one way or the other. Well, that game is now. They have to win this game. And just because game three didn't go the way you want it doesn't mean that game four is an unwinnable game. Now, let's get into the brass tacks of what's really going on here, though. And I understand some of the, the panic, some of the panic that Knicks fans, because they don't see hope in the way the Knicks are playing, right? The one hope that I see is that the Knicks defense, as the shots that Miami's getting, it feels like Miami's getting whatever they want. It feels like their offense is flawless, and 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 they're, they got the Knicks on their heels constantly. And I'm not saying that's not true, but... They're scoring around 100 points a game. Do you understand that? Do you see the scores? They're scoring around 100 points. Did you see the scores in in the Milwaukee series? They were scoring a lot more than 100 points per game. If the Knicks hold Miami to around 100 points, they, they, they put themselves in position to win the game. So the Knicks defense, as much as it needs some tweaks, and we'll go into that in a minute, it's ultimately not the problem. The problem is their offense. And I don't think anyone is oblivious to that, but there seems to be a focus on the genius of Spolster's offense, when in reality, they're scoring about 100 points a game, and the Cavaliers scored around 100 points a game. <laughs> Nobody's talking about their genius, Right? They're, they're getting good shots. They have good actions. They put the Knicks on their heels. There's no, there's no questioning that. But at the end of the day, the Knicks are playing good enough defense to win these games. And as much as you're always trying to get better on both sides of the floor, defense is not the biggest problem the Knicks are having. And when you're not scoring consistently, what that does is it gives the offensive player, the, the, the opposition, it gives them confidence because they know make or miss that they're going to stop you. So why are we going to worry about missing these shots that we're taking if we know we're going to stop them and they're not going to score enough points to beat us, essentially? So we can play free on the offensive end because on the defensive end, they got nothing for us. And that's where things are right now with the Knicks. So their lack of offense 
gives the Miami Heat offensive players confidence. It gives them confidence. And with the Knicks always missing shots, that means the Knicks are always going up against, or the Knicks, I should say the Heat are always going up against a, a transition defense every single time. Whether it's primary transition or secondary transition, there's always a transition defense. Always trying to get set. And with so many cross matches in this series, you're, you're guaranteed to get people in positions that they're not supposed to be in. Just because you're missing so many shots. And you're not making them take the ball out of bounds nearly as often as you should. This series is more, it's, it's 90% about the Knicks offense. 90%. Doesn't mean the Knicks defense is perfect. It just means that sometimes the Heat make shots that are well defended. Sometimes they miss shots that are wide open. Ultimately, that's not what's losing this series. What's losing this series, the reason why the Knicks are down 2-1 is because they cannot score consistently. But let's talk about the defense real quick. Miami is going to consistently get good shots because of the way their offense flows. Bam out of bio doesn't need to be at the dunker spot the entire game the way Mitchell Robinson does. He can stand at the free throw line or, or the dotted, keep the big man away from the front of the rim, allowing people to work. So Jimmy Butler can get to the front of the rim. Strauss Struess can, can attack a closeout and get to the front of the rim. These guys, Vincent, Lowry, and it's 1v1 at the front of the rim because Bam is at the free throw line. So to me, the first mistake the Knicks make is that they respect Bam too much at the free throw line. You will, the Knicks' whole defense is about collapsing the paint and spraying out to the three-point line. You'll do that, but you can't take three steps to the front of the rim and spray out to Bam out of pocket at the free throw line? You can't. Like, come on. You know how many baskets there were in this last game where Bam Adebayo was kind of standing at, at, at farthest, the mid-range. But most of the time, just standing in the paint, standing at the free throw line, standing at the dotted. And Hartenstein or Mitchell Robinson, were, they were playing midway between the front of the rim and Bam Adebayo because they didn't want to give him that shot. And I understand Bam can knock that shot down consistently, but you close that out. You close out. You close out and, and you rely on the perimeter players, whoever's on the perimeter at the time, to come down and tag him real quick when that pass is made and make him hesitate and think about kicking the ball out. If your defense is about protecting the paint, which it has been all year long, and spraying out to the three-point line, then why wouldn't you be able to spray out to the free throw line? You got to be able to do that. There were too many baskets given up with players, second defenders, a couple steps away because they were respecting Bam Adebayo's Short jump shot. And I want to I wanna be clear. I'm not saying he can't hit that shot. Of course he can hit that shot. But you spray out to him and you contest it late just like you're doing at the three-point line. You make the guy at the front of the rim make that pass. You don't just let them be 1v1 in the paint, especially a guy like Jimmy Butler who's going to get a bunch of calls. Lowry, too. People talking about uh, IQ let Lowry cook him in the paint. Of course Lowry's going to cook IQ in the paint. <laughs> That's what you would. You think... Guys really think because a guy's old and he can't play the entire regular season that he's not effective anymore. So you really don't watch the game. Lowry is going to cook IQ in the paint. He's not strong enough for him. He's going to cook him. But he shouldn't have been alone in the paint with IQ. IQ 
should have had help from Hartenstein on that particular play. Hartenstein was just watching because he was afraid of Bam Adebayo. You got to make him make a play and you got to be aggressive in doing so. Grand Hill in the in the game last night with Phoenix and Denver. Grand Hill said, I think it was Phoenix and Denver. You got a double team with a purpose. You can't just come with a, a soft double team. It's the same thing at the rim. You got to come down with a purpose. You got to make that pass difficult to make. You got to make that and they, because they're fundamentally sound. They're going to fake one way and then throw it the other way. They might fake fake a bounce pass and throw it over the top. They might fake over the top and, th- and throw a bounce pass. Once you make him pick the ball up and hesitate, then that's when you go back. And we talked about this early in the season. Last year, the Knicks used to do this all the time. And they do it sometimes too when they get this year too, when they get lazy, even their defense was much better. When you hedge, which, and this is kind of like a hedge, or if you're going to double team, double team. But if you're going to hedge and have to recover to Bam out of bio, because in that situation, Nobody else is going to recover to Bam Adebayo. So it's really a strong hedge, right? As soon as you make the offensive player pick the ball up and hesitate and start looking for a pass, that's when you need to get back. You don't wait till he throws the pass. And if you do that, now Lowry has to take a contested look off balance over his primary defender. In that case, it was IQ, right? You can't just let IQ by himself in the paint. With with uh with uh, Lowry, you saw this time and time again last night. That to me is one of one of is not the biggest, but one of the bigger problems Knicks are having. Because when Miami gets to the front of the rim, there's there's usually just one defender there, the primary defender on whoever caught, catch, catches the ball. They're not having to score on one of the Knicks big men because Bam, unless Bam Adebayo is already at the dunker spot. Because Bam Adebayo is sitting at the free throw line, there's never any help at the front of the rim. That can't be the case. You got to make them pass it to Bam, and you got to recover. That's why you beat the player to the spot. If you're if you're desperately trying to get back in front of the driving player, then you're never going to be able to get back to Bam Adebayo. You beat him to the spot. That's what the Heat are doing to the Knicks. But that's because they're playing his own. But you beat him to the spot. You don't guard Bam at the free throw line when he's standing there. Unless he has the ball in his hands, he's about to do a dribble handoff or something. You don't guard him at the free throw line. You stand in the spot and you close out to him when the ball finds him. The Knicks don't make that change. They're going to give up five, six baskets at the front of the rim. And ones as well. Now, the other action that's consistently getting good shots for Miami is just a simple pick and roll. With Kyle Lowry, especially. Now, the first mistake, first mistake the Knicks are doing, and they, they've done this throughout the season, is not recognize who you go under the pick and roll on. This doesn't mean that Kyle Lowry doesn't can't shoot, but he hasn't been the strongest shooter this season, right? He's been at the at best a streak shooter. He's also not the most aggressive guy shooting the ball from a few steps behind a three-point line at this point in his career, right? So instead of trailing Lowry over that on, on that screen, trying to go over it and, and trailing behind him and putting Hartenstein in drop coverage, which he's not really in because they're afraid of the shooting of Miami, so he's way high, given, given Zeller or Bam, the clean roll to the basket. 
when Lowry's the ball handler, you go under that screen. You make him shoot over you over the top of that screen. You see if he's going to do it. And if he does it, he's got to knock it down. That's the first thing you do. And if you're and if you're Hartenstein, you can't be as high on Lowry coming off those screens as you are on maybe a Gabe Vincent or a Duncan Robinson or a Struess, etc. Because Lowry is not going to shoot contested aggressively in this series on this team. He wants to come downhill. So you need to already be in the path of Zeller. You don't need to come up as high as you're coming up on a on a on a Lowry Zeller pick and roll or even a Lowry band pick and roll. You can sag. You can you can play an angle where you cut Lowry off and make him make the pass and then slide over so that you can be chest to chest in the path of Zeller or Bam coming down the lane. You can't completely vacate the lane and let Zeller and Bam come down free rolling down the, down the lane and then having the weak side defender, the low man, have to slide over to stop it and it leaves the corner three open. Because they're already primed and ready for you to help. They, took, they expect your help from the low man and they're ready to make that pass on the catch. That's something that the Knicks never used Mitchell Robinson to do, and they never used Hartenstein to do. We're going to get into that kind of stuff later. But they're using it. Bam is a great passer. Zeller is capable. If you let Zeller catch that pass and you make the low man come over, the corner, the corner three is going to be there every time. So you can play that differently so that Lowry has to come. Number one, Lowry is going to come downhill almost every single time if you trail the pick and roll. So you could play that differently where you play in Lowry at the rim and also playing Zeller coming down the lane. That's literally what teams do to the Knicks, to the Knicks every time they run pick and roll, which is why they barely get anything out of it. They're not doing that. Hartenstein and Mitch, they're, they're coming out of the paint. They're coming up too high and they're leaving the roll every single time. You don't do that with Lowry. The first thing you do is you go under the screen and you kind of nullify it that way and then see what they're going to do. But you don't. You don't, under any circumstances, leave the paint and let the roll man come, not on Lowry. Now, when Gabe Vincent is doing it, I get it. It's going to be a little bit trickier because Gabe Vincent, you can't go under the screen on him. He's going to shoot it. You have to trail on him, but that's why that's why is that's why you have to have good defenders on the primary ball handler on the other team. You have a guy like Grimes on Gabe Vincent coming around that screen. He makes him come around that screen without coming downhill full speed. And now it gives the center an opportunity to stay in front of him at the rim and guard the roll man. But because Gabe Vincent has been shooting the ball so well, the big man has to come up and contest that shot if the screen is solid and knocks the primary ball handler uh, out of the way. So it's much more dangerous with with Gabe Vincent is running it. Much more. But they got to understand the difference when Lowry's running and Gabe is running it. Got to understand the difference. Same thing with Struz and Duncan Robinson. Got to understand the difference. When Gabe is running it, it's going to be tough. Got to get over that screen because that role man is going to be there every single time. Because as a center, you have to come up and respect that shot now. The way Gabe Vincent is shooting, shooting 40% in the playoffs or something like that. It might have went down this last game. 
So they're going to get good looks out of that play with Gabe Vincent, but they should not get the looks they were getting because Lowry is much better at making the play than Zeller is. He makes those slick pocket passes. He'll go over the top when he needs to. He's much better at making that pass than Gabe Vincent is. So there's, there's pros and cons to both of them running it, but you cannot be giving up layups to Lowry when he's running it. If Bam is going to catch that and get that free throw line jump shot, then you take that. You just close out late. You don't give up dunks off that. And that's just a couple things I just don't want to see anymore, to be honest with you. I also think Brunson has to work very hard on guarding Struess, and I just don't know if it's necessary. Struess will shoot over Brunson and he gets the ball. It doesn't bother him that Brunson's in front of him. And you're wearing him down. He's playing with the injury established this last episode. You saw him tweak it in his foot in the game. Tweak his ankle. Take your medicine with Brunson on Gabe Vincent. I told you before the series that Gabe Vincent was hunting Brunson during the regular season, but he still took a lot of tough shots. And Gabe Vincent is going to come off those screens on Brunson and not be bothered, bothered by Brunson. I get that. I would rather take my medicine with Gabe Vincent taking contested shots than have Brunson get worn down chasing Struess. He's going to get worn down on, on Vincent too, but when Jimmy Butler's on the floor, he's not even a primary ball handler half the time. I'd rather have him on Vincent and have to deal with those on-the-ball screens and see if he can take his medicine on that front so I think uh, I think I those off the ball screens with Struess and chasing him around and then and then having Struess shoot the ball in his face anyway. I just don't know if there's a good point to that. And with all of the scrambling around the Knicks are doing on defense, there's a lot of cross matching anyway in the middle of the possession. Just have him start on on Gabe Vincent, and then there's a size the, the size disparity between Brunson and Spruce. It rears his ugly head in other aspects of the game. You know, so he has to Strews come and knock a ball around on the offensive rebound because Brunson's trying to fight with him, keep him off the boards. You know, it's not like he's a big time rebounder, you know, but just that that hustle where Strews is chasing down a rogue offensive rebound, and he's gotta deal with this bigger player that he's gotta knock around. To get that that board, you know, that wears on a guy that you depend on so much offensively. Just put him on a guy his size is actually a little, probably a little bit smaller than him in terms of stature. And just just see what that looks like. And Brunson worked very hard to be in Struce's airspace this game. He worked very hard. I just don't know if the juice is worth the squeeze on that front. But like I said to start the show, Defense can can always improve. You can watch every single one of these playoff series and say that defense can improve because the other team is scoring points. But this Nick team is giving up around 100 points a game to Miami. You know, just over 100 points. I think the score is 105, 106, 96, some, somewhere around there. That's enough to win the game. Like they're good enough to win. They clean a few things up. You want to keep them under 100 if you can. Clean up a few baskets that you don't need to give up. But ultimately, that's enough to win the game. Problem is really this offense. Tibbs 
throughout the league, forget the Nick fan base, has been criticized for his, one, lack of adjustments, two, his unimaginative offense. Now, I think Tibbs had he adjusted well in the Cleveland series. I think there are there are minor adjustments going on in this Miami series, some of which you're just not seeing because they haven't been working all that well. But I don't think they're outside of the adjustments I discussed. Like I said, the defense is not playing as poorly as you guys think they are. That's number one. Number two, what Miami is doing is almost impossible to really guard. When you're shooting as well as well throughout the series as Miami is, when you have that many shooters on the floor, you have to play up. And when you play up, it gives up the drive. And when Bam is out there setting screens for these shooters, it's taking the big man out of the paint, which means which makes those drives a little bit easier to finish. They're also they also have good size with Struess and Duncan Robinson, two of their shooters. Obviously, Lowry and and uh, Gabe Vincent aren't huge players, and, and we we all know about Jimmy Butler. So these guys have good size. So the players the Knicks put on them, they actually you know, at kind of a size disadvantage height-wise. We talked about Brunson on Struess, and Duncan Robinson is 6'9". Right? And these guys can shoot over their competition. On top of being excellent shooters to begin with and, and not being too bothered by contests, they can shoot over most of their matchups. When they run high screen and roll with these shooters – or down screens with these shooters. The Knicks have to come out of the paint. Which opens up the back doors. It opens up the offensive rebounds. It's it's so difficult to guard. When guys are shooting the way they're shooting. You have to always be up. You have to always be pressuring. Which means it's easier to get beat. It's easier for players to turn the corner on you. It's easier for players off the ball to backdoor you and offensive rebounds and get tip tip outs and loose balls, etc. because you can't constantly it's hard to find your guy when you're scrambling around, rotating, always having to be in somebody's chest or they're gonna shoot the ball. It's hard. Right? I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's hard. That's The opposite of what Miami has to do with the Knicks because of their lack of shooting. And Tibbs, again, is criticized for his lack of adjustments, his unimaginative offense. And I will join in on the criticism for the unimaginative offense. Now, if the Knicks hit their shots... We wouldn't be complaining quite as much. They are getting quality looks. One could argue that on the perimeter, the Knicks are getting as good a quality looks as the Miami Heat are. It's just the Knicks are not the same level shooter. They're hesitant shooters to begin with, and they're average shooters at best across the board. Except for Brunson, IQ, in theory, in a regular season. Quentin Grimes, in theory, in a regular season. Those guys are higher level shooters, but everyone else is average to below average shooter in this league. And they're also hesitant shooters. So if you come out and you close out on them, most of the time they don't take the shot. Those are shots that Miami takes. And they don't make them all, but they take them. 
when you're a hesitant shooter and when you're not even an average shooter, the team can sink into the paint. Now, the Knicks are a paint-scoring team. They're going up against one of the better defenders in the league and Bam Adebayo. And then they're not spreading the floor properly because they're not shooting. They're hesitant shooters and they're not shooting well. So they're not being guarded. And Josh Hart, my favorite, one of my favorite guys too. I don't want to criticize him overly. You know what his game is. His game has not changed. But the fact that he's not being guarded makes scoring almost impossible. Because not only are the Miami Heat leaving... R.J. Barrett open and hedging off of all the other shooters on the floor to guard the paint and just closing out late because the Knicks are hesitant shooters. So they'll not, they won't always shoot on a closeout. They have to attack it, which means they're going right back into the, right back into the crowded paint because Julius Randle doesn't relocate. If Julius Randle's already in the paint, he's not leaving the paint. So when he kicks out, if that shot's not there, if you try to cl- attack a closeout and go into the paint, you're going back into a crowded paint. It's going to have Mitchell Robinson's man in there. It's going to have Julius's man in there because Julius is not going to relocate. All right? And that's one of the bigger issues with their offense. But with Josh Hart being a hesitant shooter and a poor shooter, they're not even guarding him. This is literally an open shot on almost every play. And it's ironic because Josh Hart hit a three in the second half last night. It was probably the most contested three he's had in the series. And he knocked it down the corner. Because they're not guarding him, everything else is more difficult for everyone. Between Josh Hart being open consistently and being left open consistently, sometimes on the strong side, sometimes on the weak side, and the ball not finding him because the Knicks are forced, they rather force the issue at the front of the rim or force the issue at where they are than try to get the ball to Josh Hart because they know he's not going to shoot. They know he's not going to make it. It's killing the team's offense. It's killing, it's killing them. It's killing them. And I advocated for Grimes to be back in the starting lineup before, and I thought the time to do it was game two. When Jimmy Butler wasn't playing, Grimes is coming off his injury. I can understand why he didn't start game one. You didn't know what you were going to get coming off the injury on it hard. And plus, you like the Hart-Butler matchup. I get it. But with Butler not playing game two, that was an opportunity to get Grimes back into the series. Get him, get him acclimated. Give him a chance to play some minutes and get back to, into the groove. But you brought him off the bench again, which is uncomfortable for him because he hadn't been playing that all season long. And you didn't have to worry about matching Hart's minutes with Butler in game two. It was a perfect opportunity to start. I mean, you don't do it. So starting him in game three makes it much more difficult because you found no real rhythm. Even though he played well, he played well down the stretch of the game. We talked about it. And maybe he found a little bit of a rhythm, but he didn't play with the starters. You know, maybe, maybe you got a little little rhythm out of him, so maybe I'm overstating it. But he didn't play with the starters. And, and playing now playing against Jimmy Butler in game three on the road and starting him would have been – that's a tough spot. That's a tough spot. It would have been a less tough spot if you had started him in game two and warmed it and got him got a little toe in the water first. And not having Hart playing – I'm sorry, not having Grimes playing. It's just, this. how do you score when there's three people in the paint every time? 
How? Now, again, there are always adjustments to make. The Knicks have have not all season long. They have not been a a. I'm going to use this term is probably not the best term to use. They have not been a fundamentally sound team offensively. They don't read and react. Let me just keep it simple. They don't read and react in their offense. Their offense is a read and react offense. People don't realize that. It's a read and react offense. It's not nearly as as potent as some of the read and react offenses around the league. But there are reads that the players have to make off of how the defense is playing, the actions that they're running. But they don't ever make those reads. An example of that would be if they're at the top of the key, sometimes they do dribble handoffs with uh, with uh, Mitchell Robinson. I think maybe twice all season, did you see Mitchell Robinson fake that dribble handoff and drive to the basket? Right? That's something that you see happen all the time for like a, like a Draymond Green or, you know, a player – a player that has some some offensive acumen or a team that has some offensive acumen, they make a read with how they're being guarded on the screen, on a dribble handoff, and they, they, they'll slip it. Get themselves open. They get the ball and somebody helps. They'll, they're ready to make the next pass. That's net. You know, how often does Mitchell Robinson get the ball off high screen and roll? The Knicks run high screen and roll all the time, and they never have a roller. And one of the reasons why they never have a roller is because they're not great at making a weak side corner pass. But another reason why they never have a, a good roll pass is because Mitch Robinson doesn't set good picks. But another reason why they don't have a good roll pass is because the players don't look to make the pass. You look at the passes Lowry made in this last game. Sometimes it was a pocket pass. Sometimes he threw the ball over the top. Sometimes he would throw it high hands, high over the head of the offensive player. he got to make a catch. You can't catch that ball. Of course, everybody on this team can catch that ball. And when you catch that ball, you got to be able to make the next play. But the Knicks don't trust Mitchell Robinson to make that play. And they don't trust Hartenstein to make that play. The Knicks don't come off those screens coming downhill full speed hardly ever. That's That's fundamental flaw right there in their screen game. So they don't get open off a basic screen the way Miami does. When they have mismatches, they don't exploit them. Now, in this particular game, there's a lot of zone defense. There's a lot of pack in the paint. Right? So personnel-wise, Mitchell Robinson is not going to do anything but dunk the ball. But you know Hartenstein can make his little floater. So if you attack the front of the rim and you make Bam come over, then Hartenstein should get that ball. You should be looking for him to get that ball. And if the help comes from the weak side... When he catches it, Hartenstein is capable of making that next pass. They they don't they don't ever make this like they're everything they do is is reactionary. Whereas what Miami is doing is predictive. They know what you're going to do. So they are waiting for they're just reading. How are you playing this? Okay, you're not coming over from the weak side. Okay, I'm gonna keep going. Okay, you come over from the weak side, boom, I, I know what play to make. I know what my guy's going to be. Oh, Mitchell Robinson's outside the paint because we just did a dribble handoff with Bam, and we pass the ball to the corner, and you close out in the corner. Okay, so now I'm going to drive the baseline and get a layup. Very, very simple offense. Again, easier for them because they have a lot of shooters on the floor. They have shooters at the big man position. Bam hit the mid-range. Love will hit the three-pointer. 
So it's easier offense. It's, it's more room for them to operate, but it's still predictive. They're they're reading what you're doing. They know how you're going to respond. The Knicks, everything they're doing is reactionary. They're like, oh, surprise, there's help, help defender here. What? You're supposed to know a help defender is going to be there and know what you want to do when he's there. They they don't do that. And that some of that falls on the coach. Some of that falls on the players. But right off the bat, now you see IQ is struggling. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like IQ is going to play in this game. He, he turned up the aggressiveness. Wasn't necessarily efficient. Didn't necessarily play well, but he turned up the aggressiveness in this game. Give him credit for that because he was definitely on wallflower mode. But he got hurt. Unfortunately, yeah, they said it was an ankle, not a knee, uh, which is a which is a good thing because it looked like his knee got kind of got wrenched there. Everything Bam out of bio fell on top of it. But in the second unit, when Hart's on the second unit, you you know that Hart is going to be the guy who's going to create offense for some of the other players. Sometimes it's not always IQ on the ball. We talked about this ad nauseum all year long. IQ on the ball not nearly as effective as everyone thinks he is. Doesn't mean he's ineffective. He's just not as effective as everyone thinks he is. But Hart on the ball, if he gets himself inside the paint, he finds a little crease. He gets in there. He sees the help defense, and he kicks the ball out. As soon as he sees extra defenders, he looks for the next pass. And that second unit tends to spread the floor a little bit better than the first unit does. because Primarily because Obi Toppin is always a floor spacer. Even when he gets himself inside the paint, he relocates to the perimeter, something that Randall never does. Okay? So Hart on that second unit, it makes sense because Hart is usually the one that's getting inside the paint and spraying out as opposed to being the one that's outside the paint waiting, waiting for someone else to spray out to him. So Tibbs being, being stubborn and infatuated with the Hart-Butler matchup is hurting the Knicks. I have to be very honest, and I'm not a big Tibbs-kill-Tibbs guy, but that's hurting the team. It might be helping the team on Butler, guarding Butler, and, and keeping his efficiency down as much as Butler is getting all this press. He hit some big jumpers in that game, nice jump shots. They contest. Everything he's doing is contested. Everything. He's not getting easy looks. And it was plenty of times that Hart played good defense, other people played good defense on him. The Knicks played good defense on him as a whole. Plenty of times. And if the Knicks scored points in this game, the, the Miami offense in that second half wasn't necessarily lights out after everything slowed down from that hot start. But they can't get enough offense from they can't get enough consistent offense. And it's the same old thing that we talked about all year long. And outside of the space, the spacing is a huge thing. It's a, it's a huge problem. Understand, it's a huge problem, but with that spacing, the Knicks are still getting open looks and not making them. Why aren't they making their shots? Well, they're just not good shooters and they're not up for the task. Bottom line. And if they don't and if they don't come and win this game in game four, once again, I'll say it again. It means they weren't up for this task. <clears throat> it means I was dead wrong about, about Miami and their ability to beat this team. I really did not expect this team to not be able to hit a shot for the whole series. You got Julius Randle. Now, I, Julius Randle can't be guarded by Bam, but he's not just – and Bam played some good defense, and there were some fouls in there that weren't called. But ultimately, it's not really Bam that's stopping Julius Randle. It's the fact that Julius Randle has to go up against a big man every time he gets into the paint. 
and is usually somebody behind him and next to him. And he can't hit an open shot. He can't hit a shot. Julius Randle's also not getting into the middle of the paint and getting his little, you know, baby fadeaways or little Patrick Hume fadeaways in the middle of the paint. He's not getting that shot. There are too many people in the paint. And because they're constantly Miami Heat players in the paint because of the lack of spacing, Mitchell Robinson is getting boxed out by two, three people. The Miami Heat are having on time on their own offensive boards because, because Mitchell is outside the paint all the time. Because Randall's outside the paint all the time. Because the Knicks have to play so tight on the perimeter that these guys slip behind them once the shot goes up. Yes, they got to work harder. Yes, they got to be more disciplined. But they're being asked to do a ton, and I'm not giving them an excuse. They're just being asked to do more than Miami's trying to do because of the simplistic offense the Knicks are running. It's just too, it's too simple. And and their lack of fundamentals all year long and reading reading the floor, not reading the floor, is coming back to haunt them in the biggest spots. The fact that Mitchell Robinson doesn't, doesn't set a solid screen and allow players to come downhill off of them. The fact that the ball handlers can't make roll passes and weak side corner passes. The fact that they never go to Quentin Grimes on the ball with screen offense, even though he showed an ability to make that pass, number one, and to get to the front of the rim and get downhill really, really quickly, quicker than quickly does. They never run it. Never. They never They never let Quentin Grimes attack a, a mismatch the way RJ and, and Brunson does. They... They are too, they are too, what's the word I'm looking for? Rigid in their offense. And because they're rigid, they're predictable. With their lack of spacing, they need to be a little bit more creative. Why can't the Knicks get downhill, get to the front of the rim, and drop off to Mitchell Robinson when the help defender comes? Well, they're never getting downhill super fast because... There's always an extra defender coming over to hedge and dig at the at the penetrators, because there's always there's always uh, with the starting unit at least there's always a roving defender because they're not guarding hard. It's like it's like Tibbs is banking that the defense can hold them off and the offense can catch up, and it it just didn't work. It does, and you should have known it wasn't working. Now, I talked about them playing small because, especially when Love is on the floor, them playing small, it it evens things out offensively. It it makes Miami a worse defensive team. But it it makes the Knicks a worse defensive team, too, (laughs) for different reasons. It makes Miami a worse defensive team because now they can't, especially if you have all shooters on the floor, they can't quite crowd the paint the same way. Now is Rand- Randall's going to be one on one quite often in the paint with Bam. It probably I shouldn't say one on one because that's overstating it. But he's not going to have the same crowd in the paint with no Mitchell Robinson or Hartenstein, and the open three is going to be there consistently with that lineup. Consistently, because they can't. You're not going to have two people constantly in the paint. If Hart is on the floor, which he's probably going to be. There's still going to be another roving defender, but it's not going to be the same as when Mitchell Robinson's in the game. You're going to have Martin down there and Butler down there. The ball can be kicked out 
They're not big enough to handle Randall Benton. A good Randall, which you didn't see in game three, a good Randall can handle Bam in front of the rim and Jimmy Butler and this guy and that guy. A good Randall can get that ball down there and make them have to sink down and double team and spray out for three and get wide open looks. But getting wide open looks, I think that probably helps Brunson more even more because now Brunson doesn't have to deal with the same crowd because Randall could be outside. I think that's the better way to look at it. It's not so much what Randall's going to do in the paint. It's what Brunson can now do in the paint because Randall will be outside and Obi will be outside. Now they're going to have a real hard time stopping Jalen Brunson because they can't really play that zone the same way if the Knicks are hitting their shots. So I'm, I'm focused too much on Randall because I can see Randall getting – you know, triple teamed in the paint and still forcing a shot up, not getting a whistle. I can see Randall throwing the ball away because he didn't predict where the help was coming from. He tried to react to it and and fumbled fumbled the bag. But it opens things up for Brunson. It opens things up for RJ to have those shooters there. The problem is defensively, Randall has to be in in a help position more often than he is. And more help, more often than he is now, I should say. And he's in the help position a ton now, and he's not always there. But that at the center position, that's huge. The center is the anchor to the Knicks defense and most defenses. They have to do they have to have multiple efforts on every play. And Randall's just not a multiple effort. He, he's not gonna he's not gonna be a multiple effort guy defensively. Now the more engaged Randall is defensively, the more effort he gives you. But Randall is notoriously terrible at drop coverage. Notoriously terrible at drop coverage. So you, you kind of have to switch if you really want to engage Randall, which means there's going to be a guard on Bam Adebayo, which means you're going to have to double team or scramble switch. So it's, it's really a lineup that is going to be tough for the Knicks if they tried to go small defensively. And like I said, the defense isn't, hasn't been as bad as people make it. it. Just hasn't. But none of it, none of it matters. If and I saw somebody, and I know this guy has a lot of clout on on Nick Twitter. I saw him say something along the lines of, "If you think this series, I mean, it's it's really binary in terms of it's like all or nothing. If you think this series is about the Knicks not making shots, you're a moron." And it was like mm, that's literally what the series is about. It's literally that's literally what it is. If they made shots, they they one they'd at least be two two. If they could make a shot, they'd at least be two two. Game one, they would have won game one if they could make a shot. All right, at least two two. It's a big part of it. It's a make or miss league. Look at what happened to Golden State. Look at look what happened to Golden State and the Lakers. They got they're making shots. They win the game. They don't make their shots. They lose. The Knicks, they're shooting like 20%. Can't win. Can't win that way. And you want to get into quality of shots? Okay. Guess what? Not all Miami shots are wide open shots, my boy. And I don't care what Second Spectrum says about what's open, wide open, whatever. They're being contested just like the Knicks shots are being contested. It's not not like the Knicks shots aren't there and they're being eaten up on the perimeter. No, they're, they're, they're open shots. The same shots that these guys are taking. 
Pretty much every shot that quickly took last game was an open shot. Whether you think it's a good shot or a bad shot is a whole nother thing. But they were open. They're getting Josh Hart open shots the whole game. You don't think this is make or miss league? Knicks lost by 20 last night. Yeah, I dropped my uh, equipment here, sorry. And Knicks lost by 20 in the game, and you don't think... That the missed shots, long rebound, transition, secondary transition attacks are good for points? Of course they are. Of course they are. I told you before, you don't think that the offensive team, the opposition, and I keep saying it the same way, the wrong way every time. The opposition gets confident. You don't think that's you don't think that's happening? That they can't score. What are we worried about? I'll take this shot, sure. Things get tight. When you can't stop the other team from scoring, you get tight. The Knicks got to make shots. They got to make shots. They can't get offensive rebounds. The Knicks are not getting offensive rebounds because there's too many people in the paint already. They're sagging in the paint. They're good, solid, fundamentally sound players. They're hustle guys. They're they're keeping the Knicks off the boards. And on the flip side, because the Knicks have to be so strong in the perimeter, they're getting beat on their own offensive boards. Come on, guys. I'm not going to start looking forward to what changed people people saying play Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose ain't hit a shot this year. You understand that? I'm not exaggerating. I don't think Derrick Rose has hit a jump shot in this calendar year. And you... I'm, I'm, I like Derrick Rose. I'm all for Derrick Rose coming in here and playing a hero, being a hero. I'm all for it, okay? Logically, you're putting a guy in who has not hit a shot in this year, okay? And you're putting him in in a series where his defense is going to be a huge concern. It's going to be a huge focus on uh, for the other team. And his defense is what is one of the reasons why he had to sit down. It wasn't as good as the other guys. And the problem with putting Fournier in the game is this is not a video game. The Knicks need shooting, just put Fournier in. Yeah, okay. You think they're going to leave Fournier open? <laughs> think you're going to leave him open? Yeah, his defenses rotate or whatever. He's going to get, he's probably going to get a couple shots. Oh, well, just the fact that they have to respect him is going to open up the paint and open things up. With Mitchell. And Randall in the game, it means Kevin Love and Bam are going to be in the paint. And R.J. Barrett's man is still going to sink down. And R.J. Barrett has played well, generally speaking, in these playoffs. He's still going to sink down. It's still going to come down to R.J. Barrett having to make shots. And if R.J. gets closed out on and they swing the ball, I guarantee you if Fournier gets... if I'm not saying Fournier's not going to get any shots. I'm saying he's not going to get enough shots to make a difference... Compared to the amount of defense that he's not going to play. You think he's going to play a 40-minute game? He's going to play like 20 minutes. Every shot he has, I'd say he takes four threes in 20 minutes. And he's going to have to force two or three of them. I'm not going to leave him wide open unless we're talking about transition threes. Unless you're talking about transition threes. Fournier is good for that, and he can find himself open on those plays. But again, I'm not shade. I'm not going to shade any move at this point because the season is is for the most part the season is on the line. The season is on the line. Some of you have counted the Knicks out because 
you don't like the way they look on the court. It's a 2-1 series going into game four. Grow up. Grow up. I'll be the first one, if it wasn't for this show, I'll be the first one not watching game five until the fourth quarter. So it's not like I'm one of these, oh, it doesn't matter, they're down 3-1, they can still, uh, yeah, they could still do it, but I'm not putting myself through that, watching that whole game. I'll tune in in the fourth quarter. <laughs> I'm not, if it wasn't for the show, I'll watch the game because of the show. But if I was just a fan at home, I'd barely be watching game five. They were down 3-1. Barely. I don't care what nobody say. That's when you get panicked. That's when you think it's over. That's when you say it's over. That's when you take on that attitude. Not 2-1. What, what, have you, what are you talking about? 2-1? 2-1? You giving up? Grow up. But I'm all for all hands on deck. Do whatever you need to do. I'm just, I just don't like the notion of putting in a guy who hasn't hit a shot this year and putting in another guy who... Pretty much every appearance he had this year, Sands maybe one. He was a negative net rating every time he stepped on the floor. And you think that's going to be the magic bullet to beat Spolster in the Miami Heat? I'm just saying, just don't be so confident in that maneuver. Like, that's all it takes because you think it's one plus one equals two. You need three-point shooter and put a three-point shooter out there. Like, it's not going to work out quite that easily and simply. The other guy's got to make shots, too. It's not like he gets to take all the three-pointers in the game. Anyway, make sure you check out every sport. All the sports are rocking and rolling right now. You got baseball getting hot. You got you got uh, DFS golf on sportsethos.com. Make sure you follow at sportsethos for all the updates on everything they're doing. Betting is a huge wagering. The wagering, the wager pass they have huge stuff. A lot of people making a lot of money. Make sure you check it out. Follow at ethos Knicks. Until next time.